Hey, Martin Sharp, the Fit for Business, Fit for Life coach here, and I hope you're going to enjoy this next amazing episode of Road to Rediscovery by the amazing Aubrey Johnson. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Our lives are laid out on a road of bumps, turns, struggles, and more. How do we respond? How do we endure adversity for learning and growth? I'm Aubrey Johnson, and we'll explore these questions and more on the Roads Rediscovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Roads Rediscovery. I'm your host, Aubrey Johnson. The Roads Rediscovery is about reflecting on life lessons to learn and grow from them, and of course, pay it forward and uplift others who are struggling through dark times. Now, as you know, on the Road to Rediscovery, we are very passionate about delivering content that is of quality to you and your personal growth. If you like what you hear, please visit roadtorediscovery.com slash donate. That's road, the number two, rediscovery.com slash donate. We'll give you a shout out in a future episode. And as always, there is no obligation. We are truly, truly grateful for your listenership. My special guest is a therapist, author, and YouTube creator specializing in helping people deal and heal from narcissistic, abusive, and other toxic relationships. Her new book, Out of the Fog and Into the Clear, Journaling to Help You Heal from Toxic Relationships, has earned a number one Amazon bestseller status in codependency, self-help from abuse, and personal transformation. She has a YouTube channel called Therapist Talks that has over 23,000 subscribers and 1.5 million views. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Shannon Petrovich to the show. Shannon, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Thanks so much, Aubrey. It's a delight to be here. Oh, thank you. We are truly grateful that you are here to just share some insights when it comes to uh, um, just just knowing when you're in a toxic relationship um, and what to do to address being in a toxic relationship, not just in interacting with the other person, but really more intrinsically, right? Uh, in how right. you uh, how you handle things yourself. So, um, can we just start by sharing with the listeners a glimpse into your journey um, and inspiration behind uh, becoming a therapist? Sure. Um, I think in in college, I really thought I would be a doctor or a veterinarian, mm -hmm. and what I found was that I was really more intrigued by people and how they work internally and their, their relationships and their feelings about themselves. I think I felt like I was kind of in the dark and trying to make it up mm -hmm. and trying to figure it out. And I really, really wanted to know. So that drove me into grad school. Yeah. And I, um, I learned a lot in grad school and then hit the ground running in, in my career. And in 35 years as a therapist, I felt like I'd gathered a lot of information and a lot of ways to help people. But mm -hmm. helping people one hour, one uh, one time a week at a time didn't seem, I don't know, just didn't seem adequate. And I mm -hmm. felt I needed to share more on a wider scale. And everybody mm -hmm. was hanging out on YouTube mostly. And so I decided to start a YouTube channel about five years ago. When I started mm -hmm. that, it was going to be all about anxiety, depression, pretty much everything. But what I ended up focusing on, because this is what everybody was wondering about, is mm -hmm. narcissistic relationships. And mm -hmm. whenever I did anything about toxic relationships or abuse or anything like that, 
-hmm. just people would flock to it and ask lots and lots of questions. And so the more I developed that and the more I developed more, more um, videos to answer those questions and started Mm -hmm. doing live streams and things like that. And then I really felt like I needed to bring it all together into a book so that people could begin the journey of healing um, because millions of people in the world will never have access to a therapist. That's just the reality of our times. So I wanted to share some strategies, some insights, some perspectives that would help somebody walk it through in a self-help kind of format. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, and, and using YouTube as, as, as a medium for conveying that message um, offers a broader stroke to, to those who uh, already see therapists and those who don't have access to a therapist, as well as the book, you know, um, uh, that, that's, that is tremendous. And it's, it's a great approach. It's a great approach. So speaking of approach, and how you um, work with your clients. Can you share with us the approach or style that you use when helping clients overcome this negative self-talk or, you know, the, um, uh, is there, is, is there a role that self-awareness plays um, when working with clients in this area? Yeah, there really is a lot that, that goes into it. And, and mm-hmm. I've got so many different strategies that I've gathered over the years mm-hmm. that, I use a pretty eclectic approach, but, mm-hmm. but a lot of people have trauma. And so I think trauma-informed care is, is kind of one of the, the pieces that I use a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Recognizing how we talk to ourselves inside our own heads is one of the keys right. to getting well. And also the keys to getting free of toxic relationships, because mm-hmm. if we are toxic towards ourselves, if we're our own worst enemy, if we're really harsh anytime we make a mistake or anytime we have a hard time, mm-hmm. then we're not going to be aware of and um, defensive towards people who talk to us that way as well. So we've got to do that inside house cleaning first and recognize all the ways that we beat up on ourselves. And then we are more capable of defending ourselves against others who are, are narcissistic or uncaring or toxic towards us. Mm. So, um, is it fair to say that um, some of these um, negative stories that we tell ourselves, or the negative self-talk, or just beating up ourselves, being uh, hard on ourselves, uh, is is it fair to say that those those types of um, behaviors could be a manifestation of being on the receiving end of um, a, a narcissist or toxic relationship? Sure. So it can come from a a number of different areas. It could Mm -hmm. be that you were raised with toxic parenting Mm -hmm. or in a, in an environment where there was a lot of bullying in your school or in your community, or, you know, I mean, people experience trauma from so many different angles and it isn't even necessarily an intentional hurt that someone did Mm -hmm. as much as the way a, a child stories something in their own mind. So mm-hmm. if a, if there's a lot going on between two parents, sometimes a child will feel like they're a burden or they're unlovable or they're unworthy or that their role is to try to keep the peace between these two people. So there are a lot of stories that we bring from childhood that aren't necessarily a direct assault. 
mm-hmm. um, but they're the way we story what happened to us. And, and when we then bring those stories into adulthood, we can be very um, self-condemning and, and hard on ourselves and also gravitate towards and um, be more accepting of people who put us in that role of um, being the placator, the peacekeeper, and mm-hmm. being the caretaker of everybody and every everything except ourselves. And so um, we tend to relive those stories. So it's familiar, but not comfortable. People say, oh, it's just because that's what's comfortable. Not at all, it's miserable, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. familiar. And so it might resonate in a, in a way that's familiar. I see. So that's a big difference. And I appreciate that clarification between comfortable and familiar, right? Um, Everyone has some sort of anxiety when it comes to change. And, and, and there's a comfort in something that's familiar. But um, when you, when things that are familiar isn't always necessarily comfortable. So uh, it, 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 it being familiar um, would, I guess, uh, be the default that, you know, someone would resort to versus um, versus, you know, comfort. Like you said, it's miserable. Um, so so thank you for that. That clarification, Shannon. So um, generally speaking, OK, um, uh, these stories that we tell ourselves, um, are there any false narratives? I think you pointed, you alluded to one, um, like, uh, you know, as a child, sometimes we think it's our fault that this person's this way towards us. Um, And can that carry over into adulthood as well? Yeah, basically what we understand is that people make, uh, create kind of their own stories, roles and rules Mm-hmm. for themselves, others, and and the world by mm-hmm. the time they're about five or six years old, which is kind of mm-hmm. terrifying because all of that that happens in early childhood is really crucial. Right. Um, and we are using our childlike brain to make stories out of these things. And so kids mm-hmm. are naturally um, self, self-centered. So they understand things as it relates to them. They don't right. have an other-centeredness. Mm-hmm. Um, they also understand things in a very rudimentary way. So mm-hmm. they want things that may not make sense and they, um, and they believe things that obviously don't make sense. So a lot of times when I will start seeing a client and we'll start to unpack all the stories that dog them and, and torture them inside their own minds every day, they'll take it out and look at it and go, wow, that doesn't make any sense. And say, so, well, it made sense to your five-year-old self when you were going through what you went through. Yeah. And you've got to sort of thank yourself for being smart and capable mm-hmm. as a little kid because you kept mm-hmm. yourself safe and sane in that crazy environment. Yeah. Um, but now it doesn't make any sense. And now it's messing you up. And and I've worked with a lot of people who've gotten out of a toxic relationship. And they'll say that when they first met that person, they, um, you know, it was subconscious, but they yeah. almost thought, yeah, I can, I can help this person. I can make them feel better. I can make them happy because, yes. it, it yes. was sim- because they were similar to that abusive person that, that they had in childhood. Yes. And so it's sort of that identity almost. Um, and again, I don't want to blame the victim. So it, this is where it gets dicey. And that's why I have to say familiar, not comfortable. Nobody yes. wants to be treated that way. But there's a certain resonance to 
the roles we took and the stories we made up about ourselves in childhood that that sort of lives out later in adulthood in our relationships. Yeah, no, I uh, I was just about to ask you, you know, is there such a narrative that someone would have um, that would uh, play in their head saying, I'm going to try to fix this person, I'm going to fix this person, you know, and, and so they're not like this towards me, you know, yeah. and, 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 and it sounds like there is. Unfortunately, yeah. And, okay. and I, I did a video a few years ago, um, called the, the narcissist and the empathic person, a tragically mm. perfect match. Because the narcissist wants what they want, and they want all the attention, they want all the focus on themselves. Yeah. The empathic person is that person that's kind of been that placator, peacekeeper, uh, people pleaser, uh -huh. and and so they are all about somebody else. So that's a perfect match, but it's tragic because the empathic person gets soul murdered in the process. You know, they cannot fully exist in that relationship. And people ask, "What do you mean by toxic?" So it means that that person does not get to fully exist in the relationship. Their thoughts, their feelings, their needs, wants, um, opinions don't matter. And it's only the narcissistic person's thoughts, needs, wants, moods, emotions matter. Mm -hmm. And all of the focus has to be on that person. And when mm -hmm. they don't have all the focus, then they throw out a little tantrum. And mm -hmm. then the tantrum might grow bigger and bigger and bigger until they get what they want. Or need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So basically over time, they train you to respond to the little tantrums and they begin to teach you to devalue yourself and mm -hmm. undermine yourself and think that you don't matter and think that your thoughts, feelings, wants, needs don't matter. So over time, they're kind of training you to do the work for them and then they just coast. Yeah, and comply to their needs, right? Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I see. So, um, at some point, though, in your work, um, is there is there a point in what you do when you start to, I guess, kind of, kind of help the client navigate uh, out of, say, the um, the mindset of being the victim? Um, you know, to, 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 to start to foster and manifest their own growth, their own development, build their self-esteem, you know, um, and confidence in who they are and security in who they are. And, 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 you know, and if so, um, is there, is, is there a delineation between your story? Okay. Or the story you tell yourself and, um, and who you are. Does your story define you or does it not define you? Um, is, is there a delineation um, between that to, to help, you know, get out of that victim type of stigma? Yeah, I think that's a really important question, Aubrey, because the um, what I want to do is make them aware of their survivorhood, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about childhood trauma, I, I will walk it through with them and mm -hmm. then marvel with them mm -hmm. at how they survived. And they not only survived, but they survived as a compassionate, caring, empathic person. Yes. That's a miracle. Mm -hmm. That is a miracle. How amazing that somebody can live through the stuff that they lived through mm -hmm. and come out the other side as a, a person with these character qualities that you wouldn't expect. Yes. And so that's how you define yourself. 
is what your character qualities and your values are. And that's why our, our culture is so messed up about this. Mm -hmm. Our culture thinks that uh, self-esteem is all about your bank account or your job or your <laughs> right. hair and your nails and yeah. your Instagram account and all this garbage. Mm -hmm. And that's just not, I mean, of course, everybody's going to be anxious and depressed if that's what we think our lives are about. And that's who we think we are because crap, mm -hmm. you know, there's <laughs> bad mm -hmm. hair days happen and mm -hmm. we all don't look good or, or all of that stuff on a daily basis. Or if you lose your job, is that your whole self going down the tubes? So mm -hmm. it's extremely important that we revamp our whole idea of self-esteem and who we are. We have to look at our character qualities and our values. And so mm -hmm. when I walk that through with people, and I do that in the book as well, the very mm -hmm. beginning is all about the, the stories you tell yourself and the things you say to yourself inside your head when you're having right. a hard time. Right. And then walking through who you really are mm -hmm. and what your your qualities and your values are and how mm -hmm. close you are to living your values and what mm -hmm. you want to work on. But oftentimes, even in a few sessions, I will help somebody see A, that they survived and B, that they survived as a pretty amazing, wonderful, caring, compassionate person. Yes. And isn't that a miracle? You know, mm -hmm. if you've been, if you've had your very childhood stolen from you by mean, hateful, horrible people, mm -hmm. and then you turn out to be a good parent and a good friend and a good, um, you know, person that cares about others and, and yeah. is, is honest and has integrity. That's amazing. Um, and in my mind, that's who God created you to be. Yep. And it was not destroyed by that person. So you're a survivor. Mm -hmm. and you're who you are because of your values and character. That's amazing. And that I would imagine would cause one to change the narrative, right. um, rewrite their story. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's, that, that's awesome. Now, uh, again, these stories that we tell ourselves, is there such a story or narrative that, um, that made, disguise itself as a positive or complimentary type of, um, type of thought or mindset, um, but is actually limiting. And, and I'll give you an example. Uh, one example may be codependency, okay? Um, in a relationship, say, between mother and grown child. Um, yeah. and, and, and so there's a, there's a codependency, um, well, we'll say, between the grown child um, really, you know, hasn't found it within themselves to uh, leave the nest, so to speak, or be on their own. And, and, uh, you know, and, and they, they, their thirties go by, they're still at mm -hmm. home with their parent, their forties go by, the fifties oh, go by. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I, I have some examples of this too. I mean, of, of people I know, but, um, but, uh, for the other person, right. Thinking that, um, this person, is counting on me. This person depends on me. Um, you know, feeling like that is their value, that that is their worth, and that is all their worth is to continue to be here for this person, not push them away and say, hey, you really need to go out and find your own place to live and so forth. So so with that codependency um, and, and feeling like uh, 
I matter to this person. They're counting on me. Um, so, you know, they wouldn't be anywhere without me. Um, and, and, and to me, that can also be limiting um, for both people, right? So um, is, is, is there a narrative or, or a story that, that comes across as uh, positive or complimentary that the person thinks about themselves in that context that is really limiting? Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, that's an absolutely great question. And I work with a lot of people that struggle with this with adult children. Mm -hmm. And, and essentially, it, the one of the root causes uh, of that is that self definition as the, um, as the caretaker. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if I grew up in a family where I was the caretaker, then I sort of get involved with a family where I'm needed. And then, um, and maybe I don't let my kids grow up because I'm afraid of them not needing me anymore. Right. And so a lot of times people will sort of buy into and participate in that codependency because of that self-definition of their worth as mm. a caretaker. Right. And so you have to, um, you know, in my work with somebody, I would praise them for that and, mm -hmm. and say what, what great qualities those are. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> there are, there need to be boundaries because you're yes. actually handicapping your child yes. by not allowing them to grow up. And so when you do that, it's sort of like if you were carrying around your one-year-old and you didn't want him to ever bump his head. So yeah. you didn't let him try to walk. Right. Pretty soon his legs would atrophy. He wouldn't develop. He wouldn't, he would be scared of everything. Yeah. Because he would never learn that, yeah, you can bump your head and get up and try again. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's it's that kind of thing. And and I used to work mainly with teenagers with addictions. And right. a lot of times it was uh, very apparent that the parents were doing too much for the kids. They'd never let them be frustrated, never let them right. have any kind of difficulty or challenge. Mm -hmm. They were the snowplow parents where they were just plowing everything out of their way as they went through life. <laughs> yeah. <And> so <laughs> we had to get the parents to back off so that the kids right. could grow up. And what's really interesting is that when we're doing that kind of stuff, we kind of feel good about ourselves and we feel like we're doing it out of love. And it is out of love. Yeah. The problem is it actually is telling the person, we don't think you're capable. So when oh, you, <laughs> I see. and this is the, the weird part is that it's, it, it feels like love, but it isn't. Right, received right. that way because yeah. how the kid feels is you don't think I'm capable. You don't think I'm capable of being a grown up or an adult or managing mm -hmm. my own money or mm -hmm. um, figuring life out at all. And so you think that you have to run my life. And so that is a terrible message. You have to give the kid the message. I believe that you can do this. And I believe I'm holding you back by not pushing you out the door. <laughs> So yeah. it's hard to start to set boundaries. And the, again, the work starts in, inside with how you're defining yourself and how that becomes self-limiting, um, like you said, and that can be harmful to the whole family system. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I, I totally agree. And, and I love I love how you how you put that together, Shannon, because um, over time, if say a parent goes too far on one side, 
by not giving the child a chance to walk by carrying them, um, being afraid that they will bump their head or fall down. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, you, you, you think you're doing it out of love, but it's really sending a different message. You go too far on that side. And then the time comes where you are like removing your hands and letting them do their thing. Well, the belief and the pattern I would think of the child would be like, well, why are they doing that? They're always there to help me out, you know, right. and, and, and you're doing it out of love when you do that. But it's perceived different, I guess, at the time until they actually go through it and some years go by and it's like, you know what, you really did me a favor. <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah. Hopefully they do. Thank you later, but maybe yeah. not. <laughs> but yeah, you never know. You never know. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. So, right. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I appreciate that insight that that is uh, hugely, hugely um, profound, you know, and I want the listeners out there um, who are dealing with codependency to understand, you know, when you are um, enabling someone who is dependent upon you um, and you continue to do that, um, you love and care for that person and you think you're doing the right thing. We all have the best of intentions. Right. And we all want to have our self-worth and value, you know, but uh, Shannon pointed it out quite clearly. The message that is sending is, I don't think you're capable of doing this, so I'm going to do it. And uh, uh, that's 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 obviously not a good message. And but but that's that's what is interpreted, I would imagine. It is. And, and, um, you know, this kind of segues back into the toxic relationships and, in mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, partner relationships too, mm-hmm. because, um, oftentimes we will be people pleasing and placating and peacekeeping, thinking that we're doing everybody a world of good and thinking that we are saintly and, yeah. and wonderful. And, um, mm-hmm. and actually what we're doing is very dishonest. Mm-hmm, and I know mm-hmm. people are going to really bristle at that, but, <laughs> but if you think about it, if you don't take ownership of your own thoughts, feelings, wants, needs, perceptions in the relationship, mm-hmm. you're kind of being dishonest. And when you own your truth and tell the truth in love, which is what, you know, we're asked to do, yeah. then you're actually giving the other person the opportunity to grow and to recognize you as a whole person. Yes. And when you don't do that, then you're feeding the beast. You know, if you've got a narcissistic mm-hmm. person or mm-hmm. somebody with even some narcissistic traits, you're just adding kerosene to that flame. And then if you decide later that you're done enabling that, they're going to be like, what? You're changing all the rules. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's really smart if you start right off the bat owning your own truth. And, you know, stating the facts and the, your thoughts and feelings and wants and needs, and don't be that people pleaser um, because you're setting yourself up and you're setting them up to not have to grow, not have to hear you, not have to acknowledge you. So you're, you're creating a, a situation that you don't want to live in down the line. Um, but when you tell the truth, then the person and you set good boundaries, then that person can either grow in that relationship or they can escalate and you know you don't want that relationship. So it's really important that we 
you know, learn to be uh, genuine and authentic and real with all of our thoughts and feelings right off the bat. Don't be that people pleaser. Yeah. Um, that is, that is the absolute truth. And, and so with that, um, is it, what sequence would you say this comment would be in? Okay. Um, you must first be true to yourself before being true to others, or must you be true to others and be true, then be true to yourself? Is it the former or the latter? Um, it's really both, but I would say you got to be true to yourself because you don't really know what you think or feel if you don't know what you think or feel. Right. So how can you say that to someone else? And, yeah. and sadly, um, when you've been with somebody that's very toxic for any amount of time at all, or if you were raised that way, you oftentimes don't know what you think or feel. And mm -hmm. it's really crucial that you spend that time to understand who you are and what you know about yourself so that you can go into a relationship as a whole person. Yes. If you're going into a relationship empty, then you're going to fall into really negative patterns with that person. Um, and it's really, so you've got to do that internal work first. And if you come out of a negative relationship, you've got to take the time to heal. And the last several chapters of my book are all about rebuilding your sense of self, rebuilding your connections, because that person probably isolated you quite a bit. Sure. And, and rebuilding everything, because oftentimes you've lost who you are and what you want. Mm -hmm. um, any dreams and aspirations, maybe your career has gone sideways. Like lots of times people leave a relationship and they are completely bankrupt yeah. emotionally, physically, and even financially. So it's sure. just really important to take that time and rebuild. And then you can be your whole self in the next relationship. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that time is truly, truly important. Um, uh, yeah. And some people are so quick to jump into another relationship. I mean, without taking that inventory and the time to heal and to assess and, and, and to, you know, really understand who they are as a, as, as a whole being so they can go into the next relationship as their, as their whole self. You know, Shannon, as you were explaining this, um, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, well, one of the questions I should have asked in the very beginning is, can you explain what what starts or creates a narcissistic person? I mean, it could be a number of things, but I mean, is 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 that something that you would share with your clients? Uh, and, and as far as generally speaking, here's what how a narcissistic person can come to be, or a person can come to be narcissistic based on experiences, background, upbringing, and then the light bulb comes on in your client on your client's head is like, Oh, he or she, they had that similar upbringing. I mean, you know, is it fair to ask what, what makes a person a narcissistic person from the beginning? I think it's really important to, to, to unpack some of that with a person. Yeah. Although I don't let them sort of ruminate and obsess on that person. I want right. to focus them on their work and their life and, okay. and their stuff. So, yeah. um, so, and it's really complicated because a lot of people think that we are, mm -hmm. yeah, there's nature and nurture. So we're all wired a certain way. Right, and, right, um, right. And so we've got that nature. 
And that mm -hmm. can be, there's now some information that says that people are wired a little bit more empathically and a little bit more selfishly, right. non-empathically. And so it, it's mm -hmm. certainly some of that nature. And then the nurture part of it, mm -hmm. it can be anything from trauma to mm -hmm. overindulgent parenting. So oh, I see. So in my experience, I've actually seen a lot more people with narcissistic traits be created or um, sort of, yeah, created, I guess. Yeah. Because of really overindulgent parenting, um, parents who kind of worship their kids and kind of give them everything they want. And, yeah. And plow the world out from, you know, like I said, the snowplow parents. And, yeah. <laughs> and oftentimes those kids turn out to be monsters, you know, yeah. in terms of how they treat other people and that mm -hmm. they just don't have any empathy and they don't care mm -hmm. about others. And they just are all about their, you know, their, their selfish and mm -hmm. superficial uh, goals. And so those, you know, I think that's really important, but then it, it can also be that they grew up watching a, a narcissistic relationship between mm -hmm. a parent and so they might identify with the one who's kind of the power um, right. and then you'll get one of the other kids maybe identify with being the rescuer that of the victim yeah. parent so you know it can it can create a lot of different um, chaos but um so I, we'll go into a little bit of that, but I won't let them focus on that too much. Even on my channel, a lot of people will be really focused on that kind of thing. And I'll, okay. and I'll you know, kind of gently focus them back on themselves and mm -hmm. did a, a video on how to stop ruminating mm. on a narcissist because Good. what happens is, again, that your, your focus is 100% on that person and you watch every little nuance of every little mood because you don't want to go all the way down that rage cycle. So when yeah. they get a little bit upset, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. And you start mm -hmm. placating and peacekeeping. And, mm -hmm. and so you become so outwardly focused that you cease to exist. And even mm -hmm. when you're out of the relationship, you're still focused on them. You're still obsessed on, well, now he's with somebody else or she's now with somebody else. And yeah, like, yeah. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to regroup and you've got to start focusing and taking mm -hmm. care of you. Um, but that can be really hard for somebody because they've just done that for so many years. Yeah, that could be hard. And uh and and I, I love what you said about gently redirecting someone to the focus is on your client, right? And I mean, how that person is, you can't control. You know, it's it's outside of our control. So, you know, let's work on ourselves who we you know, who we can control ourselves right. and, and why we feel a certain way and how do we respond and how do we learn what our truth is and how do we hold and stand in our truth, you know, not just to ourselves, but to, to other people you know, and, and get the worth that we deserve, you know, and, and, and get the respect that we deserve. And, and so that, that's, 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 that's a key part for there, um, there. So I appreciate that clarification. And, you know, the focus is really on, on, on the client themselves, right. And, and not so much uh, the person and why they are that, that way. And you gave some great examples too, of, you know, how someone could be like uh, the, the over, 
uh, the overdoting parent, you know. So, uh, so thank you for sharing the clear, um, the the clarifications and the examples as well, Shannon. It's also true that there's a huge range from mild narcissistic traits all the way up to really severe. And mm. so it's it's really important that, you know, and a lot of people are weaponizing this word and saying, oh, my ex was a narcissist and oh, blah, blah, blah. You you hear know, that my parent lot. was a narcissist yeah. And, yeah. And, and really inappropriately labeling people yeah. um, and then kind of throwing them away. You know, it's like once you stamp that on somebody's head, uh, uh, on social media, then you've annihilated them and, yeah, and destroyed yeah. their their career and their yeah. and their um, you know their reputation and things like that. So we have to be careful. You know, mm -hmm. people can have narcissistic traits, and then the really severe narcissists are kind of fewer and farther between. That's that's pretty un, not rare, but it's less usual. Yeah. And it's really important that we not rec not sort of label people that all the time it's it's very much a, a specific nine trait thing and um they're very you know on the more severe scale they are not only self-centered but they're delusional in their yeah. self-centeredness so that they have lost kind of connection with reality uh, they're grandiose beyond what you know just looking at themselves in the mirror, they're just like grandiose. Yeah. Um, they also completely lack empathy. So you'll see people who uh, laugh at other people's pain right. and um, really have no concern for another person's uh, pain, emotional or physical pain. So right. it, it runs the whole gamut and, and we need to be careful when people weaponize it. Yeah. And thank you for mentioning that, Shannon, because um, I, I hear the word tossed around a lot um, and we see it in social media. Right. Um, yep. To your point. And, 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 and it's like uh, because one or two types of characters, characteristics, uh, someone picks up on someone that they're in conflict with. Uh, they're quick to label them a narcissist and quick right. to spread the word about that person being a narcissist. Right. And there's a true, what you, you just mentioned like a nine step or nine, nine type characteristics. Nine qualities. Yeah. Qualities. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's something, uh, I don't know the term I'm going to say clinical, but the, 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 the qualities, the nine qualities um, you know, th that, that gives a more intensive, um, more intensive look into, hey, before I open my mouth and call this person a narcissist or say they are of narcissistic behavior, you know, let me look at these nine qualities or something instead of just weaponizing and tossing around that label. Right. And then, um, you know, I've even seen people sort of gaslighting with it mm -hmm. in other words flipping the script you know that mm -hmm. they are the ones that are really abusive controlling manipulative mm -hmm. but then they accuse that person the victim person of being a narcissist and it really undermines that person's um, attempts to start to stand up for themselves oh my goodness and so you know telling them that they're being abusive or mean when they're just setting boundaries and that i i hear that all the time, you know, oh my I'll, gosh. I'll be coaching a client 
and they'll come back and say, I set a boundary and they said I was being mean. I'm like, of course they did. Yeah. Because they didn't want you to um, stand your ground or have a boundary or establish yourself as a whole person in this relationship. So of course they're going to throw something out at you that would hurt you. And what more, what would hurt you more than telling you you're mean? Cause you're not mean. <laughs> You know, wow. if you're a compassionate, empathic person, the worst thing you can say to that person is you're not compassionate and you're not empathic. So, right. you know, they're always going to choose the thing that hurts the most. Wow. And I never the, thought of that. That is so counterintuitive, yeah. but I guess some get away with it. And, oh, yeah. and, 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 and I guess their way of getting away with it is how it impacts the person they're telling it to. Right. right. My gosh. So I mean, that's not as... helpful, you know, <laughs> I mean, we have, we have more important things to do with our time. Right. Oh, right. But, but somebody who is, has those kind of traits, they have an empty sense of self. So okay. when we talked about the character qualities and the values, yeah. if, you know, a person who has a personality disorder of any sort has an mm -hmm. empty sense of self. Mm -hmm. So, and it's all dependent on getting puffed up from other people. So it's like a hot air sure. balloon and it has to have constant hot air being forced into it or it implodes and then it explodes. Mm -hmm. And so that narcissistic person has to have people pumping air into them all the time. They have to be pumped, puffed up and supported and adored and, and built up and they have to have that constant or they implode and explode. And so if you've been around somebody like that, you notice that because you, as soon as you're, the, the attention is not on them, they start to manipulate, they start to control to get their needs met. And then if you don't meet those needs, then they tell you that you're mean or non-empathic or not caring about them. So it's very twisted but it's all designed to get their needs met, all designed for that manipulation and control and to puff themselves up and to keep themselves supplied with that puffing. Um, so when you see all that and you emotionally step back and notice it, then you can sort of watch the circus go by and go, oh, yeah, that's them doing their thing again. And oh yeah, yeah that's that game. Yeah. And now yeah. this game didn't work. So now I'm gonna switch to that game. Right. And now they're turning you know, they're turning on the tears and they yeah. switch to anger, then they switch yeah. to guilt trip, then they go back to tears and mm -hmm. back to anger. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's a three ring circus, but yeah. if you don't jump into the circus with them and you don't engage, then it doesn't work anymore. Right. Yeah. And, and I tell you, that's a good place to be for, for someone who is working with this, uh, you know, within themselves to take that step back and watch that circus go, go by. And it sounds like, um, you know, uh, uh, one who may be narcissistic um, uh, or a narcissist, um, they also get puffed up like the hot air balloon you mentioned. They also get puffed up by other people's downfall, not just stroking yeah. people stroking their ego, but just the, the downfall of someone who is suffering or, um, going through a tough time, especially at their, at, if they're the cause of it, um, seems to puff them up as well, which is, um, to your point, just a, an indication of just a lack of, tr uh, a lack of uh, sense of self. 
that they have. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And a complete lack of empathy. And that's, the, mm -hmm. you know, when you see somebody doing that, you know, you have to take a giant step back and get, mm -hmm. you know, take, make sure that you don't get attached to that person on any level. Yeah. Yeah. And on, and, and in your great work, you show people how to take that step back. So, um, man, that is, that is, I mean, that is, such awesome insights, Shannon. Now, I've been uh, taking a look at your book uh, for a little bit here, and there was a statement that you made in chapter one. I think chapter one is finding yourself in the fog, um, uh, and and I found it thought-provoking, and it, it's where you talk about self-compassion, okay? Yeah. And I, I believe you mentioned this self-compassion is a crucial part of your recovery, since you take yourself with you wherever you go. Uh, can, can you please kind of for the listeners elaborate on what that means for us? Yeah, that's so important. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have any understanding of this when I was first, um, well, in my early 20s, mm -hmm. going through a lot of stuff and, and uh, a therapist actually told me to write down every time I said something mean inside my head to myself. And at first I thought that was the dumbest assignment ever. <laughs> and then I, and then I started to do it and went, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. it was constant and it was vicious. And I would never talk to anyone in the world like that except me. And I was totally, so I was totally unconscious of it. So mm -hmm. we have to look at that because you can have everything in the world going well for you but we talk to ourselves like 40,000 times a day. Mm. So if you can imagine most of those messages being really awful, that's what we're doing to ourselves. So we can get away from all the narcissists yeah. in the world. Yeah. But if we're beating ourselves to a pulp constantly, we're, mm. we're going to be miserable people. And we're going to be escaping into um, whatever escape we want to escape into, you know, we're going to escape into drugs and alcohol and relationships yeah. Yeah. and work and anything mm -hmm. to get away from ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn that self-compassion. I have to treat myself the way I would treat a friend. I have to be encouraging when I'm down. I have to be supportive. I have to, you know, help mm -hmm. myself and mm -hmm. not beat myself up. And mm -hmm. so when you learn to do that internally, then you're comfortable in your skin and you can take yourself with you wherever you go. You're happy hiking by yourself. You're happy. You know, if, if you leave a relationship, you're not terrified to be alone. You're not miserable alone. You actually right. like your own company. You like and respect yourself. So it's all of that work that is so necessary in order to feel um, good about ourselves so that we can self-support and have that self-compassion to uh, work through that recovery. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Love it. And, and thank you for unpacking that uh, for us, Shannon. Um, so how can the listeners follow you and subscribe to your YouTube channel and, and maybe even pick up a copy of your book? Yeah, thanks, Aubrey. Um, so nofoggydays.com or therapisttalks.com will get you to my webpage and on that page you'll see the link to my book and also my youtube channel um, some podcast interviews including this one when it airs 
and uh, some blog posts and different things like that. And also sign up for my newsletter so I can send you stuff when things come out on YouTube, therapisttalks.com. And I just jumped into TikTok because they're now doing 10 minute videos, which I didn't realize. Wow. So some of my videos fit that venue too. And I've, um, and I've posted the ones that are 10 minutes or less. So there's a, also a TikTok presence. And I believe that's Therapist Talks 1. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Uh, therapisttalks.com uh, and the other links we will definitely have in the episode show notes. So the listeners can click on those links, order a copy of your book, uh, subscribe to your YouTube channel while listening to this great conversation. Shannon Petrovich, I really, really genuinely appreciate you coming on to the show, sharing these insights with the listeners. I know there are listeners out there who are in the midst of a toxic relationship. Um, there may be even someone who may be on the giving end of that toxic relationship, uh, who we may have hopefully offered some insight um, from an intrinsic uh, uh, standpoint, you know, where they, they, they look within themselves and ask themselves, hey, am I doing this? I'm behaving like this. I was told I'm behaving like this. What can I do to turn things around for myself? And of course, having a positive impact on those that I interact with. So, um, you know, I, I believe we've, you have resonated with a lot of the listeners out there who may or may not be in these types of relationships. Uh, if they're not, then this keeps them from being in those relationships. So again, Shannon, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you too, Aubrey. This has been really a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to you know, thank you as well. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. And look, if you have a loved one or a colleague, a neighbor or a friend who just seems to be just kind of down in the dumps, not quite sure where to go, where to turn to, or who to turn to, maybe falling into patterns of bad behavior, going through dark days of despair, I, I humbly ask that you please share this show with them. Because on the road to rediscovery, we want our listeners to know two things. Number one, you're not alone. And number two, there is always hope. The road to rediscovery, it's a movement, a revolution. And guess what? You are now part of it. We're all roadies on this journey of life, and it sure feels good having you on the road with me. Thanks again for listening. We'll chat again soon. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of The Road to Rediscovery. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at roadsrediscoverypodcast at gmail.com and leave us any questions or comments you may have. The Road to Rediscovery is an AJ Shark production.